The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner. Good morning, and thank you so much for joining me once again for a conversation that I hope will give you something to think about and something to work with as you consider your own leadership. I'm Kate Ebner. My guest today is Kirsten Olson. Kirsten is an organizational consultant. She's an activist. She's been a retreat leader for over 20 years, and she's been co-founder of the Institute for Democratic Education in America. This is an emerging not-for-profit organization linking youth and progressive educational activists for educational transformation. And, you know, as I consider your bio, Kirsten, it's just so clear how dedicated you have been to um, making progress and improvement in our educational system for some time. I want to say welcome this morning. Okay. I'm so delighted to be here. I truly am. Well, you know, not only have you been an activist for the educational system, Kirsten, but you also... I know are a full-time leadership coach. Um, you often are coaching leaders in education. You've taught um, at a number of places, uh, Wheaton College at Harvard Graduate School of Education, um, and, and have authored many articles, books, chapters, blog posts. I know you've been really thinking and writing about um, school leadership, leadership in general, and of course, mindfulness and leadership, which is our topic mm. today. Mm. So recently, you and um, and Valerie Brown have come out with a wonderful book called The Mindful School Leader, and I'm sitting with that book, having um, spent quite a bit of time with it, Kirsten, and uh, mm-hmm. as I consider this um, this work that you've authored, it seems to me like it's a, an invaluable resource, not only for school leaders, but actually leaders anywhere. And I'm, mm-hmm. I would love to begin today by just asking you to tell us a little bit more about you and how you came to be so passionately engaged in the question of excellence in school leadership. Mm, and in leadership in general. Mm-hmm. So um, I really got involved in this work after finishing a very long and um, kind of arduous doctoral program. I consider often consider myself a recovering academic, sometimes needing to be in a 12-step program. Mm-hmm. I finished this doctoral program, and I began a kind of conventional academic career, and I realized that I was in a sector that was undergoing really, really profound, very dynamic, and in some ways exciting shift and transformation, and there were people doing the work in the field in ways that I found really exciting, and so what I wanted to do, it became clear to me, was to work with them 
rather than being in an institution and teaching about it and writing about it exclusively, I really wanted to be out doing that work. So that led me to starting a consulting firm in the Boston area and then beginning to work really all over the country with people who were trying to do transformational work in this area. And along with that, my own emerging mindfulness practice, which really was at the center of a transformation in how I decided to lead my life, how it became clear to me that I need to change how I was leading my life. And those two things really converged around the writing of this book. So it comes from working with leaders who I think, like many of us, are undergoing increasing pressure and intensity in terms of the leadership demands. And in our sector, fewer and fewer resources for supporting and renewing themselves as leaders and much more public demands around the work, so much more public accountability. And so I, I found people really needed some practices to support themselves and to think about their leadership in new, new and renewing kind of ways. So, Kirsten, so, I'll jump so that, in and ask you yeah. a question, actually. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, it, both, both at, through Georgetown University, of course, and also through mm-hmm. my, own, my own work at the Nebo Company, work with yeah. many, many school leaders and many, um, you know, entrepreneurial leaders and corporate leaders and so on. And one of the things that you write about so beautifully in this book is about the phenomenon of... Um, overwhelm and overload you know everything is urgent and certainly when you you know kind of open the doors and windows and look into the leadership of of schools you find um, principals and senior teachers and faculty and staff who are are pretty pretty exhausted pretty stressed and really looking for uh, relief and and I'd love to have you just talk for a moment about how mindfulness might be a source of renewal or, or a practice for those leaders? Yeah, so I, I think you've described it so beautifully and unfortunately so accurately that many of the folks with whom I work, leaders and their teams, really do feel in these kind of um, islands, isolating islands of very, very intense work Uh, kind of round-the-clock DNA of leadership practice and um, work life. And without practices that support breaks, noticing, reflection, and doing some of the kind of creative leadership thinking that is so desperately needed in our work at this moment. So... What I have experienced is that mindfulness practices and what we say again and again in this book and what I experience in my own life is this this really are a set of practices and habits around leadership. This is not a kind of set of ideas that we think about and believe in, but it is really a set of daily, if possible, practices which support us pausing, noticing what's going on with ourselves, observing our reactions in our bodies, and then being able to begin to work with those more productively, 
to turn towards anxiety and fear, to understand the ways in which our presence is affecting the people with whom we work, and to experience greater satisfaction with this critically important work that we're engaged in, which oftentimes we're not not receiving enough positive feedback about the importance of it or much validation that we're doing it in ways that seem coherent or laudable to the external world. So a moment ago you said, you know, um, you, you know, the idea of turning toward anxiety yeah. and stress yeah. rather than turning away. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that many of us have habitual, I know I have had, and um, this has been a central part of my own, working with my own powerful and difficult emotions, I think that we have, many of us, hardwired in us um, a reaction or a set of reactions of when we experience fear or anxiety or a sense of overwhelm, of trying to deny it and move through it or um, to just simply become reactive to it and to, to move into some kind of anxious action in a kind of triggered way. And I think that something that mindfulness helps us do is to turn compassionately towards ourselves around those reactions, to begin to notice them and not judge them so much and understand that, you know, every human has them and actually to begin to see them as a source potentially of wisdom and knowing and growth. I think that's kind of the, the long-term goal, but, but really how can we begin to turn towards those reactions instead of move away from them or simply to be triggered by them? I think that's big work. It is big work. I was just going to say it's a, it's a, it seems almost counterintuitive. I'm sure for some people who are listening, but, yeah. but I do know in the work that I do as, as well, that, um, you know, there's just no way around it. The first step toward making change is self-awareness. And when you become aware even of the feeling of being overwhelmed or stressed or um, burdened, you know, yeah. that awareness can can lead to the, the option to practice mindfulness. Yeah. And so I, I really appreciate you, you write so much about this so beautifully uh, with Valerie in your book, The Mindful School Leader, you know, about um, about why leaders need to practice mindfulness. And you even give examples of leaders who have tried this, and I hope we can get into that. I'm hoping today, Kirsten, we'll be able to talk about, you know, the the mindfulness itself and the powerful effect that it has in leadership, but then also move to the practicing of it. And how do you actually transform your leadership by practicing mindfulness? How does that sound to you? That sounds wonderful. Okay, I'd love to do that. Good. Well, then maybe you could tell us a story to start us off about mm. a, a before and an after or a situation yeah. that required mindfulness and some, some leader you know maybe who actually went down this path to really paint a picture yeah. for us. Well, um, I, the person who comes to mind for me is um, a very promising, high-potential leader who was promoted to superintendency of a very large um, school district in his state and um, was also 
simultaneously, as life so often gives us, um, experiencing several personal challenges, his wife going back to graduate school, one of his children really having some of her own troubles in school. And he described, when I initially began working with him, his morning beginning at 5 a.m., and he said it is really like um, beginning with cannon fire. Mm. I leap out of bed, I grab my phone, which has been beside me all night, and I start looking at email messages as I'm walking to the kitchen to make coffee. And he described a day, which is probably familiar to almost all the, uh, every leadership coach has many clients like this, um, a day where he really hurtled from one thing to another with no breaks whatsoever to pause and consider what he was doing, how he wanted to um, navigate through the day, what would provide him with a sense of satisfaction at the end of the day, and how he wanted to show up as him throughout the day. And one of the things that he said was, I realized I just was very unconscious about how I was seeming to the people that I was leading. And that matters so, so much. That was one of his most powerful realizations, is that his anxiety and sense of being under fire was affecting all of his senior team. And so how, how we began to work was very, very simply and very invitationally, and that was he had his assistant schedule a couple of one or two or three breathing intercessions in his day. So a breathing pause for maybe two or three minutes in the morning, sometime around lunch, and sometime mid-afternoon. And he also committed to walking outside and just looking up at the sky once a day. Because his experience was he was in meetings for sometimes 14, 15 hours a day inside, looking at papers in a conference room, in a boardroom, and he never went outside and looked at anything um, that was connected to the natural world. So he committed to those two practices and practiced them pretty religiously with the help of his assistant who would shush him, make him go outside. And he began to experience um, a greater sense of relaxation and of being able to pause more frequently in his day and notice himself and come back to his own body. And he liked that. And so he began to get interested in some other practices and now um, really is bringing many of these habits and um, ideas to his senior leadership team and around his organization. But it really began very, very small, very invitationally, and really was about him trying some things out rather than, yeah. I was going to say, well, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful story, and I appreciate so much the idea that small steps can really Mm. be how you sort of get a toehold. And I wanted to just pick up on a phrase that you used that I think is familiar to us as coaches, but 
it, it's an interesting phrase. And as I heard you say it, I thought, hmm, let's let's talk about that for a moment. It is the idea <laughs> of um, of you said he he was able to come back to his body. Now, yeah. what did you mean by that? Yeah. Well, I I think that we're all you know we're we are doing such wonderful training increasingly at Georgetown around somatic awareness. But I think that with mindfulness, you know, we're kind of um, encouraged to think of our body as, as a home that we come back and rest into to get connected with some essential parts of ourselves. And one of the things that we began to talk about with this particular, this client was, um, was he able to stay in his body in moments of stress or in difficult conversations? And that became a practice that he found powerful to him, really envisioning himself returning to his body when he realized that he had been triggered. And what you mean is that when he's stressed, he's lost awareness. He's lost, he's lost um, a sense of his physical self. Is, yeah. You know, he's, he's sort of, out, you know, up in his head or sort of even yeah. out, out there. There's a wonderful quote that we, we often like to refer to um, from James Joyce. You know, Mr. Dufy lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> I, <love that>. I, <laughs> I think that's that. what you might mean. Yeah, he would say that. He would say, I don't know where I was. I mean, this to me was very, very powerful, conscious knowing. He would say, I don't know where I was at this, that moment, but I sure wasn't in my body. There you go. Well, that yeah. and, and 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 so you know, just creating the pause, connecting with yeah. the out the natural world outside, yeah. um, slowing down and stopping, um, giving yeah. himself those little spaces. That's what began to open up the possibility. It sounds like for greater yeah. self awareness and for a different presence as a leader. Is that right? That's exactly right. And that the the. The fundamental idea, I think, really is that these are habits. We call this, um, in my yoga studio, the donkey work of practice. These are habits that basically we're training our brain to engage in so that we have to think less and less about being in that pause or noticing that pause. It just becomes more and more present and available to us. And that opens that this huge range of possibilities for us as leaders that may not have been there before because yeah yeah I was just going to say we're actually going to take a break right now Kirsten we are um we're moving deeply into this Mm -hmm. topic and I so appreciate Mm -hmm. the example that you gave us um for those of you listening uh, I hope you're enjoying this conversation I'm having with Kirsten Olson I'm Kate Ebner and this is the Inside Transformational Leadership Radio Show we'll be right back Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. 
Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF-accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. Welcome back, and thank you once again for joining me today. I'm speaking with my guest, Kirsten Olson, who um, describes herself as Chief Listening Officer at Old Sow Coaching and Consulting, which is a, a wonderful title and a wonderfully named organization. And um, Kirsten also has spent uh, years really studying and practicing mindfulness. She's uh, done a two-year facilitator training with Parker Palmer at the Center for Courage and Renewal. She frequently leads retreats on mindfulness for leaders. Um, she is writing a book. Um, she's written the book, um, The Mindful School Leader, which we're talking a bit about today, but she's also written Wounded by School and Schools as Colonizers, um, among many other articles. So, Kirsten, before the break, we were really talking about how a leader begins the process of mm. engaging mindfulness. And I want to pick up right where we were. And uh, one thing that I really see in my work with leaders is that people want to stop rushing mm. and being overwhelmed and being stressed yeah. and having a, a presence that can really intimidate or alarm the people around them. Um, but they don't know really how to begin. And I, so I loved your example because I think you gave us a story in which just small steps made a difference. Tell us more about how leaders can begin the practice of mindfulness. Mm. Yeah, I, I also, just to affirm what you just said, I also experienced that too, that Virtually everyone I am working with feels this sense of desire for more pausing and particularly in the midst of the complexity of their jobs and digital overload. And I really do feel like we are sort of in this beta testing as a generation about how to 
how can we develop habits to manage the digital inflow of our lives? And so what, what comes to mind for me is a team that I've been working with for um, several years. And the leader of that team became interested in developing some pausing practices for herself for exactly the reasons that you named. And she began to practice um, the, the scheduled breathing, breathing before her day begins, and also mindful listening, um, creating an environment with someone, especially if she was triggered with someone, in which she could encourage herself to empty herself and begin to really focus on the other person and listen to what they were saying in a way that felt less judgmental. And so she had been practicing those things, and those are, you know, really significant pieces of practice um, that did not take a lot of time for her. This, she said, this does not feel like another thing on my to-do list, which really is critical because most of the folks we're working with really can't handle another thing. Um, and so she began to explore those more and more for herself. And then almost without making it explicit, began to start meetings with her senior team with a pause. She would notice when she was triggered or someone else was triggered in the meeting, and she would gently suggest that people take a moment. And this became organizationally less strange. People gave themselves permission to begin to do this. And... Um, give each other positive feedback when they noticed that this seemed to be um, helping them make better decisions and not be so reactive. And so in the last six months, this team really came into a crisis, a quite a public crisis where their work was under attack in a public way and a lot of their leadership decisions were appearing in regional and sometimes national newspapers. And what they described was increasing reliance on these practices. They were able to navigate their way through this crisis because they had been practicing together some of this pausing, not making decisions um, only in moments of reactivity and really noticing what was right and what was good even though they were involved in a pretty substantial leadership crisis. So that to me was, you know, really powerful evidence of what, what this can be for people. If um, they begin small and find it pleasurable or helpful in some way and stick with the practices. And for that group you just described, how did they... Uh uh, I'm trying to find the right words, but maybe what I want to say is, how did that practice help them be effective and stay together, mm. assuming that they did, I guess, um, yeah. as they were grappling with such a public and challenging situation? Yeah. So what they noticed, there was a very, um, very strong inclination because they were under attack to really other the 
the folks whom they regarded as attacking them and to see themselves as victims of something unfair. And they were able, in ways that I, I really found um, very admirable, um, they were able to uh, sometimes stop in those reactions because they had been practicing together and take a pause and then sometimes some other view would emerge where actually maybe what these folks are saying has something to tell us. Maybe there's another way that we could be responding to this. Maybe there are things going on here that we have not considered yet, and that's really what we are being called to do. And so I saw them being able to make more complex and fully reasoned decisions. They were really kind of able to hold the paradoxes of their situation in ways that I'm not sure they were might have been able to without these practices, which really come out of things they were doing with their bodies and noted very basic noticings that they were able to have. Well, thank you. That's a, another another great example. And you know, as we think about practicing this, um, you know, I I've, <laughs> I'm having experiences in my own recently flashing through my mind where I've been in rooms yeah. of people who've said, "This sounds amazing," but but how do you know how do I get from the way I am right now to being this centered leader you know like what what should I do where do I start and I wonder if you could just give us um, some really practical advice and you've given us some examples but maybe just like imagine talking you're talking to one person you know who wants to get started yeah I think that the way that most most people start and um, I'm sure you do this this is exactly the way you work, Kate, is that if someone can give themselves even 30 seconds just to stop and notice, take a deep breath and notice that breath. And that very small step sometimes creates the pause in which we can begin to notice what's going on with us and um, focus on the present moment, which is really the definition of mindfulness, being able to focus intentionally on the present moment without judgment. And so beginning with something as simple as taking a breath, let's just stop, take a breath, before we say anything else, let's take a breath and notice where we experience the breath coming into our bodies. Is it in our nose? Is it in our chest? Fill your lungs deeply. Sit solidly in your chair with your spine straight. And then exhale. And we know neurobiologically that just that simple act has tremendous resetting capability with our parasympathetic nervous system. It does extraordinary things. And um, so developing some habits around breathing can be the beginning of a, of a very powerful mindfulness practice, a very effective mindfulness practice. And sometimes it really doesn't need to be anything more than that. We, okay. we often see people 
starting in ways that are too complicated and feel like too much of a commitment um, because they feel like they really do need to find something that will be helpful to them. I think very, very small steps that are very doable. You know, we talk about mindful driving. Um, <laughs> you know, how mindful washing of the dishes, mindful taking out the trash. Those are all very real pieces of um, living a life in a more present, focused kind of way. You know, I'm glad you. I'm glad you direct us to the breath. You know, and I know that um, for for all of us, and I'm sure for some of uh, some of you who are listening, you know, being directed to the breath is um, it's sort of confounding because of its simplicity, and I think we do want it somehow to be a bigger step or a, sometimes a more dramatic shift. What's so beautiful and elegant about becoming aware of a, a single breath um, or three breaths in a row is that you can do it anywhere at any time and it actually has a physiological, biological impact um, immediately on the body. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, um, Kirsten. What's, what is it, what happens physically when you allow consciousness, conscious, bring your consciousness to breathing? Yeah. So when we are, when we are triggered, um, and I feel like most of us have been deep in this. We know that cortisol um, flushes through our body. Our, our um, peripheral vision actually um, begins to shut down, and we go into a fight, flight, or freeze reaction. And what this very simple, elegant, I love how you described it, and always available practice does, is begin to calm the parasympathetic nervous system and engage it so that the cortisol, the act of taking in the breath, actually begins to flush the cortisol through our system. And there's a complicated, beautiful set of reactions going on when we take in this deep breath and begin to reestablish a more homeostatic um, moment in our physiological system. So the act of breathing is a reset for our nervous system and um, neurobiologically takes us to a place where we begin to, our vision begins to open, we begin to be able to hear again, we are telling the body to relax and that we are not under threat in that moment. And the more practice we have with that kind of breathing and coming back to the present, the, the more rapidly the body readjusts and resets itself. So it's a habit that is strengthened through practice. Beautiful. I think that's that's yeah. so helpful to hear you describe that. You know, I'm um, now a devotee of your book, and I wanna I wanna actually read a poem that you've included in it that really is about um, creating more spaciousness. And sometimes that spaciousness can just be as as big as a breath. But mm. the poem's called Fire. Mm. 
Fire. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in too tight can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and absence of the fuel together that make fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. A fire grows simply because the space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. Mm. That's Judy Brown's poem. And we just have another minute or two before we take another break. But you've actually offered a wonderful um, reflection to readers of your book. You know, the question you offered was, how, can you, how do you create breathing space in your life? You know, how do you um, give your attention more fully to the spaces in between the wood uh, versus just the wood, which we could think of as all the commitments we have and all the activity that we have? Um, have you been using poems um, quite quite a lot in your work, Kirsten. Well, so thank you so much for, as we say in Courage and Renewal, lifting up Judy Brown's poem, which I love um, also, and I think describes uh, uh, an important noticing for all of us. So, yeah, we, um, we use poetry in our retreat work um, really to punctuate... Um, almost every major turn of a retreat because we think poems are such powerful third things for giving us a vision of what may be going on with us that we're not even aware of. So powerfully, beautifully suggestive of some state that we may have internally or be aware of externally, but we don't quite have the words for it. And suddenly all that comes into focus. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just yeah. saying, this is a beautiful choice because I think, um, you know, when we think about a day and we think about 24 hours and what we have to get done and how we fit it in, we, we're thinking about, we're thinking about the logs we're putting on that fire. We're not really thinking about, you know, you don't look at the calendar almost in, in, in relief and say, you know, if I look at my calendar as a calendar of space, Instead right. of a calendar of commitment, how much of the space is in this calendar and this, this day I've planned for myself? And I think that might be an interesting way for people to assess um, whether they've got enough space to really and make that what, fire burn. What makes, yeah, what makes my fire burn most brightly? What kind of mm. um, conditions are required for that? And am I creating those optimally for myself? as a leader or as a coach? I think that's really a question that is at the center of our work. Well, I think that, you know, as, we, as we've talked, we're going to take another break right now. Um, when we come back, I would love, Kirsten, for us to, to dive into some more ways that people can begin this practice, uh, feel good about the practice, and also I would love to hear you tell a few more stories about how this has made a difference for people. You're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. My guest today is Kirsten Olson. I'm Kate Ebner, and we'll be right back.
the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF Certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. So glad that you're here with us today. As you've been listening to our conversation, Kirsten Olson and I have been talking about the work she's been doing with leaders on mindfulness and really talking about practices that can transform your leadership and even your school, particularly we're referring to the school leader in reference to the wonderful book she's written called The Mindful School Leader. Um, In the past two segments, we've really been talking about how to get started and how to really understand the power of even the smallest of spaces, the breath, um, as you as you add it to your, uh, you're consciously adding awareness of the breath to your day. Before the break, I read from Kirsten's book um, about the poem by Judy Brown about the fire, and we were thinking it might be nice to begin this final section of our conversation with that question about how do we build our own fire? You know, how do you really begin? to consciously create a fire that burns brightly, that has what it needs, whether it's uh, that balance of commitment, but also space. And 
Kirsten, I'd love to hear your thoughts about, um, you know, especially for people in the helping professions, whether they're coaches or teachers or counselors, um, really probably leaders are in the helping profession. How do we build our own fire? What do you think? Mm. It's um, such a critical question to me, and I am increasingly focused on really um, how do we build our capacity to solve some of the really, really significant problems that I think are um, confronting us now. And my one of my mentors, Parker Palmer, talks a lot about standing in the tragic gap in our lives between what we can see is possible and where our current practice is. And My own experience of this as a mindfulness practitioner now for almost 20 years in a whole variety of ways is I really think that mindfulness is about building our own fire and learning to manage and regulate ourselves as we stand increasingly in that tragic gap between the work that we feel called to do that the world needs us to do, and where we experience ourselves now. And I I think that these practices of returning to our bodies, noticing our bodies, turning kindly and compassionately towards our difficult emotions and reactions really helps us build adult developmental capacity. I know that's something, you know, we, we care about so much at Georgetown, and we care so much about it as coaches. But being able to return to the body non-judgmentally and to notice what's going on in the present moment, I do think helps us begin to be able to think in more complex ways, to imagine new ways of being. And also, as we kind of see our own capacity to, to solve our own problems, to believe in others capacity to solve their own um, issues. And so it's a, it, it is a tremendously energizing process, although I think people think of it sometimes as getting calm, sitting quietly, being still. I, I really see it as about building our own fire in every way that is important. Is fire, in this case, a metaphor for passion, for energy? How are you thinking of fire? Passion, energy, analytic capacity, ability to feel deeply someone else's pain and not be overwhelmed by that, but to bear witness to it. I think that this ability to come back home to ourselves really is at the center of that. All of those emerging capacities, and that is critically important in obviously the work of trying to figure out what the, what, what the world of education looks like and how we coach effectively into it. How do we show up for our clients in ways that supports the the creative transformational work that they are called to do. So to me, that really is about how are we developing our own practices around this? What are our practices? 
How well, are we sharpening? Yeah. I was just going to say, and that really um, does underscore a principle that we work with at Georgetown, which is the idea that you're responsible to be in shape in your own life, in your own self. In, you know, that's your responsibility, even as you bring your your yourself in service to the world. You know, but but really to deplete yourself, become exhausted, become overwhelmed, become stuck, become uh, become um, pessimistic or, or in, in need of renewal that you're not giving yourself is to deplete um, your ability to bring your gifts and your talents forward. So there's really almost a mandate actually to, to care for yourself, to keep your own fire burning so that you can bring all of who you are and all, all of what you want to do forward in the world. And I've always really appreciated, Kirsten, this message coming, I, I think I first probably really did hear it at Georgetown University in the leadership coaching program, the idea that you can't really help someone else in any powerful or significant way if you yourself are um, depleted, exhausted, um, burned out. Yeah. I, I see really the wise leaders with whom I work increasingly valuing their own well-being as being at the center of their leadership practice. And unfortunately, in education, still it is still a part of the DNA that working 14, 16 hours a day, always being on call, never detaching, is indicative of commitment, ambition, and um, capacity. And I, I think that in many parts of the world, we're really shifting to seeing that as a very limited and limiting leadership view and um, difficult for people to do transformational work under those circumstances because, as you've just said, they just don't have enough in the tank to think in new ways and to feel in new ways. They are really biologically in reactivity. That's right, and I like the connection that you make um, between one's ability to be connected with oneself and one's ability then to feel empathy or to feel connection with another. And I often have noticed in my leadership work and also in my life that when we're not connected with ourselves, you know, with our our mind, our body, our spirit, our emotional life, if if we're disconnected probably because we're overtaxed, um, it's very hard to connect with another and hold that connection. So we might actually go through the motions and kind of do all the things we think need to be done, but without the benefit of the quality of connection that actually does lead to transformational work. Um, Is that making sense to you? Yeah, that's so, so beautifully put. And something that when we have been out talking about this book um, around the country this spring, we end our time with the people who are there doing a mindful um, speaking and listening practice. And we really talk about, we do some breathing, and then we talk about creating this environment in which you can listen someone into being. And people describe the power of that, and of course that's at the center of our coaching work, but also that we as the listener must have capacity to be present to do that. And we have to be filled up enough 
that we can be there for another human being, really almost at the cellular level, to be able to hold them and hold their experience. And I don't... Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say thank you for that. And I, and I wonder, I know we just have about five minutes left, but I wonder if it would feel comfortable to you, Kirsten, to actually lead us in a mindfulness practice right here on the show. Hmm. I would love to do that. Thank you for the invitation for that. So I think that we ought to do just a very basic breath practice because that's at the center of everything and always available to us and always brings us home. So I think that's perfect. And just so that you can pace it, we have about two minutes. Okay. So I'm going to do about, let's do about a one minute breath. And then Kate, we're going to ask you how it felt for you. How about that? Sounds great. Okay. Okay. So let's begin by wherever we are, sitting straight in our chair or standing straight and putting our feet firmly on the floor and feeling a connection to the ground and the energy of the ground through our feet. And then let's just take a moment to get here where we are. And then to take a deep, deep breath, filling your lungs up all the way. And I'm going to begin that by inhaling through the nose, all the way to the tippy top and then very gently letting the breath out through the mouth. All right, and let's just do one more breath and then we'll come back and notice how it felt. So a deep inhale through the nose, filling up our lungs all the way. And then a powerful exhale through the mouth. And then just a regular exhale and coming back to now. And that, I think, is at the center of the beginning of a mindfulness practice. I love how you said that. At the center of the beginning of a mindfulness <laughs> practice. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. How did that feel for you, Kate? Well, first of all, if, I mean, one of the things that amazes me in doing it is that two minutes is plenty of time to actually experience um, a pause. So that felt great, actually, to stop and to be able to just notice breath. And uh, it, felt, it felt great. It felt renewing 
Yeah, and I even liked the interruption that we had in the middle because yeah. that to me was like life, you know. Yeah. It's like you're trying to center, trying to <laughs> take your pause and something happens and you just you just rebalance, you you re-enter. So that that felt actually true to life to me. Yes, it's so true. Wherever we are, there will be the interruption and it is all about just coming back to home and being there and noticing. I'm amazed always by the, um, the sense of calmness that can come from mindful breathing. And, you know, I want to, I know we need to close our show today, Kirsten, but I really uh, thank you because I think that you've, you've taken this idea of mindfulness and leadership and made it accessible in the simplest mm-hmm. way and given us some great opportunities to practice with you and also to realize that we can start immediately with mindfulness practice in our leadership. Is there anything you'd like to say in closing? I guess I really, I just um, first want to, as I was saying to you on break, how much I, I love this program and how wonderful I think it is for our community, but also that transformation is, as we've said several times, these tiny, tiny steps in my own experience. It is generally not about the kind of tsunami revelation but really about the little tiny things that begin to shift us where we notice we are happier, less reactive, more able to think in ways that weren't available to us before because of such a simple thing. Isn't that a, isn't that a miracle? Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.